Greetings, gentle listener. Before this week's episode, I'd just like to apologise for my voice in this and the upcoming episode 29. Kelly and I had set a day for doing the recordings, but I woke up that morning uh, with quite a cold. I didn't want to reschedule as Kelly had watched the films in preparation the night before, so we went ahead. So yeah, my voice is a bit ropey. Apologies for that. Um, and Let's get on with it. Here they come! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and with the new Tom Cruise-headed mummy in cinemas right now, we're doing a monster double bill to tie in, discussing Universal and Hammer's first attempts at depicting the cloth wrap one, and I'm happy to say that Kelly Hogaboom is along for the ride. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Ready to move us. Hello, Kelly. Good evening. And good. Is, I was going to say good morning. No, it's lunchtime for you, isn't it? You've just nudged yes. into afternoon. It's noon, but I am a late. I have a late schedule, so this is my morning. Oh, good morning, Kelly. Right. Uh, welcome along to this. Um, this is a bit like our King Kong special that we had. It's going to be a bit different uh, than usual. Um, uh, we're going to be looking and rating sequences from Universal's first mummy and then we're going to move on to Hammer's first stab at the fella, okay? Awesome. Right, so the first Universal uh, mummy film, um, when did you first come across it, Kelly? I think I first saw this film in, in um, 2015. Blimey, th- th- this is a bit like when we were talking about Forbidden Planet, you were quite recent to that one as well yeah i have a super spotty like i've seen a lot of really bad b movies but i haven't seen a lot of the classic cinema that kind of inspires b movies so i'm still picking up yeah i'm still picking up some of the basics yeah um i'm a bit different from you that uh i saw this i don't know how old i was i must have been about 10 or 11 and i just remember boris karloff i didn't remember much about the film um, and then when I think I watched it as an adult in the DVD era, I, I don't think I ever watched it on video. Um, we'll come into this after, after the uh, we've discussed the sequence. But, yeah, I found it a bit of a plod of a film watching it as an adult. Oh, that's funny. I mean, just for reference, my the first time I ever saw Boris Karloff was in The Terror. And that's just a, an awful film. I think that's Roger Corman, but it's... Mm. Um, it's not too exciting. It's, you know, it's got young Jack Nicholson and and Boris Karloff doesn't have a very impressive part. And so even though I knew he was a screen legend, I kind of, you know, I wasn't impressed by him then. But I've since watched um, several of his pieces from the 30s. And I, I'm a, a huge, huge fan now. Yeah. I'm, yeah. You watched it the wrong way round, didn't you? You come exactly. across him the wrong way round. I mean, there is a reason why he is a, a, a legend of cinema, you know, and absolutely. <laughs> but, but like you say, he he was making films right the way up until he died. He he was still churning films out in the sixties, as you say. 
Um, but uh, yeah, and, and yeah, diminishing uh, quality as the decades went yeah. on, unfortunately. You know, and that happens to a lot of screen legends. Mm. Um, so that's just how it goes, I guess. Okay, right. So we're going to the Mummy, uh, the the very first Universal Mummy. Uh, we're going to have two sequences from this film. Uh, Imhotep's awakening at the start and uh, his death at the end. So let's go into a clip from the first one. <laughs> so we start the sequence with Ralph Norton. He's uh, reading aloud allowed from the scroll isn't he well yeah he's kind of whispering it's almost like he's reading it to himself and he's all sweaty and the other two guys are outside and you're you know it's dead silent there was no music in that whole sequence see i, I was going to mention this later on i think especially when the, the bit we're just about to talk about helps so much that there is no music it's it's more eerie without the music yeah, but it was an odd choice because, like, there were dramatic scenes in the film where they had a lot of music, like where the father, um, you know, sort of has the heart attack, you know, where Imhotep kills him. Mm. Um, that had music. So it was very, it was odd. I mean, I, I it was eerie. And I know that that sequence, the, the first sequence, people love it and find it really terrifying. Mm. But for me, I... I I think I would have liked some music, to be honest. Oh, you do? Oh, no, I, no, no. I, I, I'm in that camp. I, I prefer it just as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to wonder as well. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, 1930s horror and, you know, horror, sound horror especially, had only really just started kicking off. I, I, I don't know, you know, how this would have gone down with an audience back then. Would they have been terrified by right. it? I'm, they must have been just because, like, if you even look up um, Bramwell Fletcher, the actor who plays Ralph, like that, people talk about that scene, and that's the only scene he's in the film. So it obviously was super effective, and it, it was good. It was nice and creepy. Yeah, I mean, watching it, you know, for this show, um, as you say, I, I said reading aloud, he's not, he's whispering. In fact, that's a bit of a problem. The audio clip, you know, there's so much hissing on the soundtrack. Um, uh, it, it's quite hard to make out what he's uh, uh, actually saying. But anyway, he's whispering uh, uh, um, and we cut across the room to Imhotep lying there propped up in his sarcophagus. And uh, and oh, so very slowly, his eye starts opening. Right. And I love it because his eye, it's so slight. I mean, now that would be a jump scare, wouldn't it? His eye would <laughs> snap open and then the mu- then you'll get the music, you know. But here it's just so slowly opens. And it's jet black. His eye is absolutely jet black. The way they've lit this scene is absolutely fantastic. Yes, and his um, wrappings are so beautiful. I mean, that costume work was amazing. And he, his hand kind of falls out of the bandage. And yeah, that, that was nice and creepy. 
I love the way when the hand does fall um, down uh, out of the bandages, you the cameras pan down so you don't see his face. So you right. don't you, you, you don't know what he's doing. Um, I was watching it, especially especially when he does open his eye and uh, there's a tiny little pin light of, of light reflected in his eyeball. Now, I know that, you know, the early days of uh, cinema, they had to flood the uh, the studio, the set with light, you know, um, so it you know, uh, the light would register on the film because that's the way the process was, you know. So to be able to film this scene just so darkly and still be able to pick out his eye like that, I think that's an amazing uh, uh, achievement at that time in cinema. It's still creepy today. Like, there's that scene they use, um, you know, later on in the film when he's come back and he's a dude walking around where he's looking straight at the camera like they use it like three or four times and it's the same thing his eyes are black with that little tiny pinpoint yeah. and it's still scary um today even because it's very uncanny it, you know he doesn't look like a human being you, you've absolutely nailed it there you know i mean you can see why he was just so amazing in this role why he was so amazing you know, in the Tower of London of Frankenstein, his he's got the most amazing face and he has the most intense stare, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's he's um, I, I don't know much about him and I wonder if he got frustrated, but he was just perfect for all these um, all these creepy monsters and creepy guys that yeah. he all the roles he got. Yeah, no, no, no. He, he, he is truly um you, you know is worthy of the accolades he's had over the years definitely uh, you say about the bandages there i was looking at them and they look real you know they that they, they look old they look dusty um in london we've got a th place called the british museum and and there's an entire floor devoted to egyptology and uh you know you, you have many many mummies on display and it's identical jack pierce yeah. did a wonderful job yeah, I think that, I mean, I've probably seen maybe 10 movies with mummies, and this, uh, these are the best mummy wrappings I've seen. And, we, you know, they're not in the film that long, um, but just beautiful work. Yeah, that's a lot of effort for, as you say, something that's just really at the beginning. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we cut back to old Ralph there, and uh, he's still reading, and the camera then drops down to the scrolls. And again, another fantastic moment. You've just gently got Imhotep's hand come in from left of frame, don't you? Yes, touching the scroll, I think. Yeah, with his long fingernails and, and, <laughs> and, that, and that whacking great big ring, you know. <laughs> right, his scarab ring, or right, the ring, I forgot about that. Yeah, um, and then we get the reaction from Ralph. Um, you know, he shouts, we don't see what he sees which, again, is uh, keeping the suspense going. Um, and he, then he backs away and starts laughing. Right. So he, if I can't, you probably saw the sequence more recently, but yeah, so he screams and the other two guys outside run into the room. And yeah, I but think then, then, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say there's there's no cut. He, he screams, backs away, starts uh, laughing um, okay. you, you, you don't see the guys coming in until after Imhotep has left. Okay. Cause then you see Imhotep's like walking, you see his like bandages on the floor. <laughs> right. 
So you never see his face again after you, that, that first reveal. You never, ever do, do you? You know, that is it. That is it for the extent of uh, Imhotep as a mummy. Yes. You know? And, you know, it's funny because I... After I rewatched this for this podcast, I I went and logged my viewing on Letterboxd. I use Letterboxd, mm-hmm. and lots of people thought this film was boring. I was surprised, and I think part of it is maybe that they wanted to see the mummy monster, right. you know, and he was barely in the film as a mummy monster, so to speak. So maybe that expectation is why some people didn't didn't dig the film. Yeah, I, I, I think what people do is, you know, they think of Universal, the Universal Mummy. They think of Karloff's face, but more they're remembering the 40s sequels where you've got Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> and uh, Tom Tyler, where he is, you know, shuffling around in his bandages. Right. But, but that was never here. So it right. could be that folk are just disappointed because that's kind of what they can remember or come to expect from a Mummy movie. That that must be it. And this was kind of the first mummy movie, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And I, I, unless you're counting, you know, the Gollum, you know, the Paul Wagner films from Germany, that's kind of sort of similar. But this is the first, yeah, proper mummy film, yeah. And I think that um, if I was reading a bit, and early Hollywood had already made like forty films about Egypt, like there was an obsession with Egypt, and you know that the mystery of Egypt. And so this film kind of is the, I don't know, the apex of that in, in my mind, because the film had a lot of Egypt to it. It, it takes place the whole time in Egypt, yeah, for yeah, instance. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Um, well, that's the end of that sequence. Um, we're going to fast forward to the end because yeah, we have Imhotep in his human form. And as you say, he's intimidating. He's really quite sinister, but there's mm-hmm. not, not really much in the way of special effects there. So we're going, we're going to go to the end. Um, and so we're going to have the clip from that right now. Okay. Nebet So we start with Imhotep, who's now called uh, Ardoth Bay. He's about <laughs> to initiate the procedure uh, to bring it, uh, the love of his life um, back to him with I, I must say, that's a very blunt knife he's got. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to be fun to be stabbed with that one. No, that's going to take a good half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but he looks brilliant, you know. He, he He's marvellously wrinkly. Um, you know, Jack Pierce, you know, doing the makeup of him in his bandages. That's quite an extreme, you know, uh, design. Uh, but here... I don't know how he did it. I don't know if it was like, you know, some sort of like glue on his face or something. But he, he does look very wrinkly. Yeah, I mean, he, um, I love his makeup as Ardeth Bay. I, it doesn't, it looks like something's wrong. Like he has intense sun damage. You know, it's almost to the point of looking like a monster, not a person. But um, 
And, and of course, he's so you know tall and skinny, and he moves so slow. And I mean, he's he's pretty awesome, like creepy uh, as as a Bay in this film. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know if the wrinkliness it, it's trying to convey, uh, you know, age. You know the you, you know this subtext that he is so ancient, or to me he looks desiccated. He looks very. He looks as dry as his bandages. Well, and doesn't he say when he first oh, there's a line where he tells her that they've both suffered and she she's got to suffer some more darkness that he she can't right. know about yet, and so he's been through some kind of hellish ordeal and that's where i got that he looks so freaky you know that he's actually been through something that you and i don't know anything about and i i thought that was awesome like that that was pretty creepy right there (laughs) he is creepy he he he, oh he's so good he is so good (laughs) anyway uh this sequence we're going with this because this is the special effects sequence it's after the good guys they've come in um and uh I just want to talk about the statue. The statue comes to life. Well, it doesn't come to life, but it starts moving, doesn't it? It starts raising its arm up. The ice is it Isis? That's it, right. Yes. She, right, and she's got like an onk or something in her hand, and and it moves up. If I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She it, she lifts it up, points it. And it starts to burn the scrolls, um, and then starts to age Imhotep. Um, right. And. and we thought he looked quite old before. Boy, he starts <laughs> <laughs> looking old now. Yeah, and that's all one shot, right? Like um, when he starts to age rapidly, I think that's then, you know, they go through that and that's just one shot. They don't cut back and forth between him doing yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's dissolves. I don't think it's like, you, you know, the Frederick March, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where, you know, they use colored filters, didn't they? And they slowly changed the color of the light shining on him to reveal more detail. I, th- I, I think I think these are uh, uh, optical dissolves, um, just progressively aging him more. And then we get we, we finally get a skull superimposed right. over uh, over his face. And it's nice of him to stand so still while this is happening. You know, he's just, he's just like totally rock solid, not moving. Yeah, indeed. Um, but we don't I'm just rushing around. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but we don't we don't actually see his demise, do we? We we kind of hear the bones falling, um, and you get a reaction uh, right. from the guys in there, but you don't actually see it. Now, I don't know if it was a case of. They were running out of time or the budget had run out or they thought, well, we can't really do this effectively. I don't right. know. So they cut to the guys and the guys look down, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's and, kind and, of... <laughs> yeah. And after the girl's been re- re- revived, you just see a brief glimpse of his skeleton on the floor. And that's, that's right. it. Yeah. You know? His bones down there. Yeah. 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 You'll anyway. have to do a show sometimes on your top your top uh, ten favorite rapid you know aging because I I can think of some more modern films that did that really well you know um, you, know, you remember what... like the third Indiana Jones movie at the very yeah. end yeah, yeah. like I, I was pretty young when that came out and that was pretty terrifying and like Fright Night had a good one and I don't know there's a lot of good scenes with that. Um, and that's that's a special effects smorgasbord there. Right. You've, you, you've just given me an idea for a new special then. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, choose your top five, you know, <laughs> rapid aging effects. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. To be continued on another podcast, Kelly. OK. 
Right. All right. So uh, so that's the sequence over. He, he, he's a pile of bones on the floor. So we'll go into behind the scenes uh, of this film. Um, as I say, I mean, we've already touched on this, but most people tend to think of the mummy being a shuffling, uh, you know, lumbering, almost like a Walking Dead style zombie now, whereas that wasn't the case here. Um, I tell you another thing that might have fostered it, and it certainly was the case with me. Um, back in the 1970s, uh, you had these things called Aurora kits. Oh, I don't you know, know what that is. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a model kit company called Aurora, and in the 1970s, they produced a, a whole range of these uh, uh, model kits uh, based on uh, uh, film monsters, um, and, and they had glow-in-the-dark parts. Okay, and they came with a little base, and you could get Frankenstein, you could get Dracula, um, you could get the Mummy, um, um, tons of them. I'll put them up on the Facebook yeah. page. I'm yeah. looking at now, so wow, that's cool. Did you own any of those? When I, when they were out, I was about ten or eleven, something like that, and I can remember at my school there was actually a collecting craze. Seems odd now that children would would have a collecting craze of building model kits. But it certainly was. And, uh, yeah, uh, everyone was, you know, talking about it in the in the playground. The good thing about these model kits was it came, you'll see there on your screen, it came with a base, you've got the figure, and you have optional parts. You can either have it glow in the dark, so his head and his hands and a couple of the accessories would, would be in glow in the dark plastic, or you had the regular ones. So you always had a spare head. You know, okay. and and we would take them to school and you know swap and trade them. You know, and there's a snake. Yeah, yeah. On 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 this one, yeah, yeah. You had a choice of a uh, yeah, a glow in the dark snake or a regular snake. I've still got my one. I'm gonna I'm put such... it. I, I'll put a photo up. But my point of all this was, um, I think that again <laughs> reinforces the idea that in a mummy film you have a menacing mummy because you can see there the pose that he's in. Um, shuffling forward, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As as oh. as I say, I I I'll, I'll put photos up on the Facebook page. That's cool. It doesn't look like Karloff though. The, uh, the I mean. No. Have a look for the Phantom of the Opera one, and that is not Lon Chaney Senior. Okay. I tell you. <laughs> I tell you they, what. They would get in trouble if they did that. It it could be that they just weren't allowed to use the license. The, the box art was always amazing. The box art was far more impressive than the model. But when you're 11 years old, you don't care. You know, you've got a model of Frankenstein on, on, on your uh, shelf, you know. So you've been doing models forever because you're still doing models. Yeah. You know, I, I've been making models since I was about six. Oh, that's cool. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. So, yeah, this, yeah, the, the, these Aurora kits uh, really did help me there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We've gone on a massive tangent there. Yes, again, yes. <laughs> uh, that doesn't matter. Um, uh, th th this film, the original Mummy, of course, this is the one that was loosely remade for the Brendan Fraser version in 1999, right. wasn't it? And yes. uh, you compare the Imhotep in that one and the Imhotep in this one, and I know which one I prefer. Well, you know, I like I like the 1999 Mummy a lot. I still like it, and I um, it was it harkens the storyline harkens back quite a bit. I'm, it's probably the closest 
to the 1932 plot of any subsequent mummy film, I would, I think. Um, so I'm a big fan, but as you kind of mentioned, the mummy in 1999 is very jump scare and yeah. you know, there's like some gore. There's a lot of body horror and we don't have any jump scares in the 1932 and we don't have any, not much gore. Um, not really, if I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, Which that, is that's weird. A, it's a pre-code film, so they could have had some some body horror in it, but it kind of they didn't go there. It's more of a suspense film than a horror film, really, isn't it? Yeah, and a romance. I actually find this 1932 mummy. I actually find it kind of romantic. The the gal in it, she's got a big part, and you know she's got her own thing going on where she know she remembers who she was and she knows who she is today. And I actually thought it was, and it has some really. Um, great romantic lines in it too so yeah i think of it as like a horror romance drama um but not a not a scary film so to speak no that was all to come wasn't it you you know with further um you know sequels and everything (laughs) of course of course the 40s versions it 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 wasn't imatep it 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 was uh a guy called caris uh who's buried alive for you know desecrating uh the tomb of his beloved and, and of course, right. that's the one that Hammer loosely uh, remade. We'll be talking about that right. shortly. Right. Um, <coughs> excuse me, Kelly. <coughs> um, um, something that's I noticed um, looking into the making of this, I've seen mentioned time and time again about how people consider it. This film is a remake of Universal's Dracula. Yeah, and it, I mean, there's a lot of uh, actors that are the same, right? And do they have the same director? Like, yeah, there were. There's a lot of overlap. Yeah, yeah. Because that's saying about you know Muller, the character of Muller is well, it is the same actor who played Van Helsing, but they're saying that right. you know character-wise, he's almost identical. Yes, and manners is similar in both films. He's yeah. the you know, ineffective fiance figure. They should have had Dwight Faye Faye for the uh, for for the, the role of Ralph because you know he, his giggling in uh, in as Renfield in Dracula you know right he was Renfield that's right yeah. yeah so yeah I can see why they it kind of and they the films are what like a year apart yes yeah it's, it's not much is it right anyway uh, Jack Pierce did the makeup of course um, it says that uh, he studied photos of uh, Seti the first. Uh, for his, uh, you, you know, basis for his his design, but the final version resembles more uh, Ramesses the third. Ramses the third, okay. Okay, I just thought I'd mention that. Um, um, and it says even though you know Karloff only begin uh, uh, appears in bandages at the start, it took from eleven in the morning till seven uh, in the evening to apply it. And uh, two hours to take it off. Yeah, that sounds like a total drag. Yeah. Um, and it says uh, Jack Pierce, he applied cotton. I don't know. I don't know this material. Co- collodion. Co- collodion. Okay. How do you spell that? C-O-L-L-O-D-I-O-N. Collodion. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I hope it. I hope it wasn't toxic, you know, because you yeah. see this so many times back then. The stuff they were using to get effects. Oh my goodness! 
It says a syrupy solution of nitrocellulose and a mixture of alcohol and ether. So that's probably not good for you. <laughs> Nit- anything that's got nitro in it isn't good for you. Ether's not good for you. Oh, my goodness. I'm, su- yeah. I'm surprised Karloff lived to the 60s still making films. Right. You know? Right. Anyway, anyway, that muck, um, cotton and spirit gum, was to his face. So this stuff, they applied to his face. Um, clay, oh. to, clay to his hair. Um and they wrapped him in bandages that had been treated with acid, hopefully while he wasn't wearing <laughs> it, um, and then burnt in the <laughs> oven. Yeah, hopefully they rinsed that acid back out, too. <laughs> I mean, because you can just picture him sweating in it. Or Yeah, that's that's intense. Yeah. So... Have you seen the – there's a photo out there of um, Karloff in his mummy outfit leaning over – um bramwell have you seen that photo you can kind of yeah. see more yeah yeah i i i've already um got that one put away ready for the facebook page yeah oh definitely. awesome gotcha yeah you can definitely see the clay in his hair there yes. his, his hair's just uh swept back isn't it yeah. yeah and it's nice that he's so it's nice he's so skinny you know i i've i've dressed up scary for halloween but um you know <laughs> I don't have the tall, skinny, imposing figure. Out. Let's just say that. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that, that that that's that's it for behind the scenes. So we have to go into the rating now. Okay. Uh, uh, if you recall, uh, ten is the highest, and one is the lowest, and five is your average. So, okay. what are your thoughts, Kelly? Well, are we rating like for the time, like for the time of, and the resources they had, or just kind of overall looking at it today? It, it's a mixture of the, uh, of what you think it would have been like, you know, back then, how it holds up today, you know. Okay. I, I'm going to give an eight because we're, we're combining the two scenes, right, for special yep. effects. Yeah. I'm going to give it an eight. Um, I thought the, the mummy scene, you know, when he's the actual mummy is perfect, like absolutely 100%. But the end scene where he ages is not well done. It's, it's not scary. It's not. It's kind of understated and it's too brief. No, no, that, that that's uh, all fair points, and I was going to give it an eight as well. Um, I, I think it's a true classic of uh, film makeup, um, despite the plot of the film. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, it gets an eight from me, so it gets an average of an eight. There you go. Okay, right, with, with, with that said and done, uh, we're fast-forwarding to 1959 now, mm-hmm. um, and Hammer's the Mummy. Um, now... With the success of their, well, I guess you would call them re- reboots, wouldn't you? H- Hammer's reboots of uh, Frankenstein and Dracula. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this, but H- Hammer, Hammer gambled on, on it potentially being a bit of a gold mine. these films. And uh, they set up a contract with Universal for access to their back catalogue. And apparently uh, Universal were very happy to do that because they were very near to bankruptcy at the time in the late okay. 50s. Um, Jimmy Sangster, a fantastic bloke. Um, he, he's responsible for so many of the uh, uh, really good uh, Hammer films, uh, either in in the background or as a writer um, or as a director. Um, he chose not to write a remake of the original, but he went instead to the sequels of the forties. So uh, that's why we have Karis and not Imhotep. Okay. All right. Okay. That being said, we're, we're, we're going to go off with the clip now, so let's have the clip. All right. 
So we start with Peter Cushing's John Bannin. He, he's in his very spacious study. Um, this is what I, li- I, I like about Hammer films. They have the most extraordinary <laughs> houses these people live in. Nobody lives in a pokey little cottage. No. Um, unless they're a poor person. <laughs> no, and even the nursing home in this is like pretty posh and spacious. And even the padded cell the dad is in is pretty, it's not too bad. <laughs> My a husband were commenting on that. Yeah, well, a lot of the times, of course, if they are actual, um, you know, uh, using a, a set rather than, you know, Bray, uh, the house at Bray or Down Place, you know, um, if they actually had a set built, that was very often used for different films. So that might have been, you know, a, a Duke's place or something like that in a previous film, you know, so, uh-huh. but yeah, I, I want that study. I want a study that looks like that. <laughs> right. Um, and, and Karish, Karis comes crashing through the French windows. Which um, is such a great scene because you see his shadow first. Yeah. Yeah. You know he's coming and he doesn't, he's not a slow mummy. He just busts right in. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and apparently that is Christopher Lee doing it. That's not Eddie Powell, his stuntman. Christopher Lee said, uh, no, I can do this. Well, yeah, um, and he—I could tell it was Christopher Lee. Um, you know, you can—I mean, that—that that was a cool part of the film. Is it's him the whole time? Yeah, except at the end when he when he goes into the swamp and he and he lowers himself down into the swamp. That is Eddie Powell. Yeah, that's uh, a little dangerous, actually. That last bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think also Christopher Lee, I mean, he had been doing the, the, the first walk into it and he, and he was hurting his legs, banging into all the pipes and everything that were down there. Uh-huh. I think I think it might be a part of we need a stuntman to go under the water. But also, I think Christopher Lee wasn't too, you know, reluctant to give that bit up. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, right, that looked a little dangerous, actually, yeah. to me. Can I just say, uh, can I just point out there are, there are no swamps in England. Right. <laughs> you don't. You 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 have bogs and you have marshland, but there is no such thing as a swamp. Okay. Right. It is a little out of place. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, and no, you're absolutely right. You can you can totally see that's Christopher Lee. It's what you were saying about uh, Boris Karloff. You know his lankiness. It's very distinctive. And right. Yeah, you can totally see that that's Christopher Lee, can't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's six uh, five. So. Yeah. Yeah. Tall guy. Very. Um, and we have another pairing of uh, Lee and Cushing, and they're fighting over a table, just like they did in Dracula. You know? Right. Um, and uh, Peter Cushing uh, goes across to the uh, bookcase and gets the spear down that he's got up there. Um, I don't know why he's got a spear on a bookcase, do you? Well, you need it for that big posh study. You've got to have a spear. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Um, yeah, this is really behind the scenes, but we might as well mention it now. Uh, the reason why, well, I've just answered it. The reason why he's got a, a spear on his bookcase, uh, this is actually Peter Cushing's doing. Um, he insisted on, on this moment in the film. Um, Hammer, Hammer had a, uh, quite a habit of announcing that they were going to make a film. They'll come out with um uh rush out a poster very often uh james carreras would take that round to studios to try and get back in you know to show them this this artwork that had been produced for a film and one of the posters for the mummy i don't know if you've seen it is the mummy um coming towards you and uh he's got a hole in him yes i, I love that. that poster i love yeah. it yeah 
It's great. I mean, you've got a policeman uh, with his lantern shining a light and it's actually going through the mummy and coming out the other side. It looks almost like it's a laser, but it's not. It's the policeman's light shining. Right. right. And uh, that that bothered Peter Cushing because that scene, of course, didn't happen in the film. Okay, and that bothered him no end. And he insisted on 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 this idea of, well, can I spear him? Because then at least there is a reason for that poster. If if I put a spear through him, he's got a hole through him. You see. So, yeah, this this whole bit is uh, is all down to Peter Cushing. Well, that makes sense, because how many times do you see some awesome horror poster and, you know, it depicts a certain thing and then you go watch the movie and you never see, you know, what the poster shows? I mean, that's that's actually not a very rare occurrence. Yeah, but that's I mean, yeah, you know, I love Peter Cushing and, and for him to do that and insist on that because he 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 thought that, you know, the audience might feel shortchanged for that very reason that they see something on this poster and then it never happens in the film, you know, to, to him, to be as creative as that, I, I think yeah. it's fantastic. And of course, That's I mean, awesome. we, ha- we haven't covered it yet, but, uh, the first Hammer Dracula film, you know, of course, at the end, at the end, his whole running across the table and pulling the curtains to let the sunlight in. That was his idea as well. Oh, all right. So, yeah, much respect for uh, Mr. Cushing. Anyway, um, Isabel comes in um, and screams and Karis stops uh, throttling uh, John Bannon and uh, stands up and reacts. And this is one of my favorite ever um, Christopher Lee uh, roles uh, because he is brilliant here at showing emotions through his eyes because his face is fixed isn't it yeah. yeah yeah he he has such a look of uh self-loathing when he realizes you know uh that she is seeing him you know uh, in his current form he has such a look of shame and self-loathing uh before he uh shuffles off yeah and doesn't he is that the scene where she he stops and then he goes back to strangling and then Peter Cushing tells her to let down her hair. No, that's at the very end. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so that's at the very first, end. This is the first tussle though. That's I'm right. The first that. tussle. Yeah, okay. no, no. Th- yeah, no, this is the first tussle. Okay. Yeah. Right. So he, so he, he sees her and she looks like, um, what was the name? Ananka. He, yeah. Uh, his yeah. old girlfriend. Right. Right. Yeah. His old girlfriend. <laughs> His old flame. <laughs> very old girlfriend. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that. I mean, that's the end of the sequence. Okay. Okay. So we're going to go into behind the scenes on this one. Um, um, the makeup was done by Roy Ashton. Um, he, he was a hammer mainstay, uh, for makeup. Um, and this was his first major collaboration with, uh, Christopher Lee. Um, he, not unlike Jack Pierce, studied real-life mummies. He visited uh, the British Museum um, and studied them. Uh, as I say, the mask was fixed and rigid, um, and it zipped up at the back. So it was actually pulled on like a mask, and then was zipped up at the back. It hurt Christopher Lee's face because uh, it was held rigid with piano wire. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, which would dig into his face. Um and I can't find the reason why, but apparently uh, he he never incorporated any air holes in the nose or the mouth. Well, so, yeah. 
Yeah. So so Christopher Lee, he had to breathe through the eye holes. Oh, my gosh. Now, can you imagine all that fighting that we've <laughs> just been discussing? And you can only breathe through the eye holes of a very firmly clamped on mask. Yeah, that's um, that sounds like torture. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Roy collaborated with a wardrobe mistress by the name of uh, Molly Arbuth. Arbuth not. That's a good old name, isn't it? Arbuth not. Okay. Uh, to make the costume um and they basically had a mummy tunic um which had a zip up the back i've got a photo that i'll put on the facebook page of it where you can see the zip which then they disguised by uh putting more bandages over it right okay um christopher lee uh, hurt his back uh, quite a bit from carrying uh yvonne Ferno over multiple takes <laughs> into that swamp um and as I say, Eddie Powell did the final descent into the swamp at the very end. Okay. Okay, that's it. That's the behind the scenes done. So um, can I have another rating from you, please? Um, Boy, you know, I got to say, uh, I'm not the biggest fan on the, of the mummy makeup on Christopher Lee here. Um, so I'm going to give it a seven because it... it I could see that it was a suit that you zipped or buttoned into. Of course, I am a tailor, uh, so I'm looking for that. So I'm, uh, I'm going to give it a seven. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go a bit higher than you. Um, um, I haven't got a problem with it. Um, I don't mind it at all. I, I think I like the fact that it, it's tight-fitting. As you say, you can see his form. It, 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 he's not some shambling mummy this is quite a lithe almost athletic uh, yeah. mummy. My, husband, my husband was like he's got a nice set of gams you know he can really like <laughs> he, you know, he does he doesn't have much of a butt but you know he's got a he's got a nice you know yeah he, he's a very beefy mummy i guess he's not a he's, buffy mummy he's a beefy mummy uh, he's a very sympathetic creation as well um the the the, the subsequent um hammer mummy mummy films um almost become caricatures after that but uh, and it's all down to christopher lee um and uh and, and really it is down to christopher lee because of course all the other mummies in the hammer series were done by roy ashton so um i'm going to give it an eight okay so, and I, uh, that, the i loved his um performance i just the makeup wasn't so great for me See, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind. No, I'm staying with an eight. That that that, that gives us a seven and a half. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's close to the Karloff, but it's not the same as the Karloff. Okay. Right. All right. Okay. Well, with that done, uh, that's the end of the episode. So thank thanks for your time today, uh, there, Kelly. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to watch a couple mummy films again because these are these are great movies. Okay, excellent. All right, well, I'll, um, I'll speak to you soon. I'll, I'll give you a new assignment, and uh, you can do some more homework, okay? All right, I hope you're feeling better soon. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, cheers, Kelly. Cheers to anyone who's listening, and see you soon. Bye-bye.